Pipeline DB is a streaming SQL database. My guest, Derek Nelson, is the CEO of Pipeline DB. Derek, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks for having me, Jeff. What is Pipeline DB? So, Pipeline DB is a, um, a streaming SQL database uh, that actually has a fully functional relational database stored um, on the same hardware as the stream processing engine as well. And what problem does Pipeline DB solve? So the, so the big problem, it's, it's a pretty general problem, um, running continuous computations on streams, which is becoming a more and more common um, problem that people are running into, um, and they're solving with all sorts of other frameworks and, and systems that are starting to spring up. But the general problem is um, running continuous computations on streams. And in particular, uh, the types of computations that we focus on being really good at are aggregations. So anytime you're um, shrinking down the data that's coming in, counting things um, and stuff like that, that's the type of stream processing that... Um, we uh, optimize the system for. How is the the uh, continuous window, or sorry, continuous aggregation or continuous view solution differentiated from other database solutions on the market? Yeah, so there there are a couple of, uh, of main differentiators here. Uh, a lot of the really uh, popular stream processing systems that are out there in use today expose most of their functionality through an application development framework, essentially. So you're, you're writing Scala code or Java code or something like that um, to express these types of continuous computations you want, you want to run on streams. Um, whereas the approach that we've taken is that we've actually offered all of our functionality through a query language um, and a ubiquitous one, SQL that everyone is already uh, using. So people don't necessarily have to know how to write real-time streaming code um, to use our system. They just have to know how to write SQL queries, which is a, a pretty common um, skill set nowadays. So, so that's a big differentiator. The, the other main differentiator, as I mentioned before, is that we have a fully functional relational storage engine integrated on the same exact hardware as the stream processing engine. So with a lot of uh, other stream processing systems out there, it's up to the, the developer to figure out how they want to store state as they're doing these streaming computations. You have to have some sort of state. If you're you know, doing a running count of something, you need to store that count somewhere that's, so that you can increment it as new information flows through the system. And a lot of times that's handled by deploying some sort of external um, storage framework like Cassandra or HBase or something like that. Those are pretty common for um, storing streaming state. Um, whereas we have a fully capable relational storage engine on the exact same hardware. So it's all one unified product, which makes things a lot simpler. Where did the idea for PipelineDB come from? Yeah, so uh, there was definitely a need that we had for this product. Um, and the, so the story sort of starts at my, my last job. I worked at an advertising technology company um, called AdRoll, based uh, here in, in San Francisco. And during my time there, I was the engineer primarily responsible for building out and scaling uh, their data infrastructure. And as an advertising company, uh, their workload was extremely data intensive. So we were pushing the envelope um, in terms of what companies were doing with data uh, back then. And we developed a lot of really cutting edge streaming infrastructure that could process torrents and torrents of information in real time and do all sorts of valuable and interesting things with it. Um, but we ended up dealing with a lot of complexity because there, back then there weren't a lot of tools out at that point. Um, so we built a lot of stuff in-house. We stitched together a lot of existing open source frameworks with custom application code and then put more custom application code on, on top of that to express the streaming computations we want to do. And so fundamentally it was really complex. And um, so Pipeline DB is something that I always wanted on the data team at AdRoll. Um, because it's just, it's just so simple. So we're solving a lot of the same problems that we solved back then at Adwell, um, and we're doing it in a much more simplified way that's easier for the developer to just get something up and running right now. I've worked at an advertising uh, technology company also, and I can vouch for the fact that it's essentially like the the levels of data that you would have at a uh, like a market tech, market making technology. Uh, company, it's you. You know, basically, you just got constant feeds, constant streams of data coming in, and it's basically just as fast as you can wrangle the data. There is data for you to wrangle. Um, so your architecture at Adroll included Kafka and Storm and HBase. What were the major problems that you encountered at the intersection of these different technologies? I think the so there are probably two. Uh, two fundamental problems. I think the, the first, the biggest one was the operational overhead. Um, having to develop the operational expertise to run HBase in production and run Storm in production and run Kafka in production. Three uh, very different systems 
Um, but knowing how to operate those at scale in production um, took a lot of time, a lot, a lot of effort, um, a lot of late calls in the in the middle of the night and things like that. So that the operational overhead was um, a big pain point. And I think the the second the second uh, issue was having to write custom. <clears throat> excuse me, application code uh, to express the computations we wanted to do. Because fundamentally, I mean, they're, we're doing, at the end of the day, and what a lot of companies are doing with uh, these kinds of data workloads is that they're really aggregating stuff in the simplest way. They're, they're counting things. Um, and so those are the, the ty types of computations we were doing. But it ended up being, I felt, a little bit unnecessarily complex to um, express those computations through with application code. Um, and so, so that was another pain point for sure. As I understand, you met with over a hundred different data-driven companies to learn about their pain points when you were architecting Pipeline DB. Uh, if that's accurate, uh, what did you discover? Yeah, so that's that's definitely accurate. And uh, yeah, the reason we did that was because when you when you set out to build <clears throat> an infrastructure product. Um, the, the development period is really long, so you really want to make sure you're set off in the right direction, obviously, before you go into development mode for uh, you know a year or more. You want to make sure you're solving um, as many problems that apply to as many of these companies as possible. And so we, we wanted to talk to all these different companies um, and figure out what the, the common pain points were. And, and to answer your question, what we discovered is that everyone was, was basically building the same thing, something that looked very much like the architecture we had at Avril, um, there was a lot of people. A lot of people were using literally the exact same thing: Kafka, Storm, and HBase, or Cassandra, um, something like that. And they all had the same problems that we had at Avril. Um, they they suffered from a little bit of an operational um, overhead that, that, that was expensive for them, and they found it difficult to uh, write streaming application code and and deploy it when they made changes and things like that. So you write, we're going to get into the engineering behind continuous views and other things in pipeline db but um i want to ask one more question about the the macro you wrote that the primary consumer of information is becoming software itself and not necessarily analysts who need to frequently run ad hoc queries on granular data end quote um i find this really interesting and uh and it's uh it's it's a it's a nice uh it's nice to hear something that's like somewhat opinionated um, and I, I think it's, I think it's true. So can you explain that quote in more detail? Yeah. So, so to give it some context, <clears throat> I think the quote was, was mentioned in, um, so probably somewhere around our philosophy of why continuous views are val valuable, uh, because they essentially pre-stage all this information. They run the computations on it continuously so that all the information that's in them is, is essentially ready to be read. There's no further processing that has to be done on them. And to get to your point, that's why, um, that that's valuable because we believe that the primary of information is becoming more so applications and people. Um, and to give you a couple of examples of, of what that means, you could imagine like a, an e-commerce site or someone who uh, they have software that's continuously recording how people are behaving with their website, where they're clicking, um, what they're buying, things like that. That's all put into a database, probably has some computations run on it that allows other systems to recommend items to those people that they might be likely to buy or change the price that makes them more likely to buy or something like that. There's there's not a human um, involved in that process. There are algorithms reading from <clears throat> this stream of information. Um, another another example is, is something like some sort of monitoring and alerting infrastructure. Um, if you're monitoring certain server metrics and you want to know is you want something to happen if, if some server uh, becomes overloaded or runs out of memory or or, <clears throat> or something like that, um, there's not a human constantly looking at a thousand different servers to figure out if there's something wrong by eyeballing stuff. Um, all that information is being fed into an algorithm somewhere that determines if there's a problem um, and then triggers something to happen so that at that point a human can, can intervene. And even, even something as simple as a dashboard, um, that's technically an application viewing viewing information. They're, they're the only user input that's, that's really um, being given is, are things like date ranges and stuff like that, which are basic parameters. It's basically a parameterized query, but um, even then it's still an application reading the database and then sending the user this aggregate information that can be um, displayed in a dashboard. So th I guess the, the point is that is that no one's really, <clears throat> excuse me, storing huge amounts of, of raw data and running an analyst, you know, running ad hoc queries on it to, to derive conclusions and things like that. Um, software is increasingly, increasingly uh, responsible for that. 
Yeah, so I think we should come back to that at the end because it's a really interesting macro topic, but we should get into the engineering. Pipeline DB's fundamental abstraction is the continuous view. What is a continuous oh. view? So a continuous view is, um, it's, it's a lot like a, a regular SQL view, like a, um, so say you have some SQL table and you want a view over that table that modifies the way it looks when you, when you query it. That's, that's pretty standard in the SQL community. And a continuous view, uh, again, is much like a regular view, except that it selects from a combination of streams and tables. Um, and then the, the result of this, it, in the continuous view, runs some continuous query that you've defined beforehand. So it's just like creating a regular view. You would do create continuous view. Let's say select count star from stream. Um, so the, so the query is select count star from stream. Um, even if you're, you're sending billions of events through this continuous view, the only thing that's actually stored in the database is this one row that has the count of all the, event, the events that have been through the system, and it's just constantly updating. Um, so, so to reiterate, they, a continuous view uh, just selects from streams and tables, uh, runs a continuous query on that stuff, and then, but it only stores the, the output of that continuous query in the database itself. And what is an example of a data pipeline where a user would want continuous views? Um, I, I think I'll mention the uh, dashboard example again. Uh, sure. that's, that's a really intuitive example because uh, what you're doing with a dashboard is essentially summarizing raw data over time. You might bucket it by hour or day or minute or whatever so that you can, you know, it's a manageable amount of information to send down um, to a user. And rather than storing all of that information, um, all of that raw information and doing that aggregation on the fly when the user wants to see a page in the dashboard, the continuous view can preemptively do that so that when the user queries a dashboard, it's just a simple read from this table that's already aggregated. So that, that's a really um, intuitive use case, I think. Sure. Um, so to, to drill down into a, a, a bit more granularity, you can maintain the, the dashboard use case. What if you wanted to do text search filtering on uh, on something on in, 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 and have it propagate to that dashboard. Yeah, so, so that's definitely feasible. Um, our product is based off of the PostgreSQL 9.4 core um, code base. So anything Postgres can do, um, PipelineDB can actually do with continuous views as well. Um, and, and Postgres ships with reasonably um, efficient text search support, but you could so you could easily do that in a continuous view. It's probably not the the ideal tool for um, you know high performance text search, just like Postgres isn't. But for simple stuff like filtering and trying to pluck out um, certain strings you see in logs and things like that, absolutely, that would be a, a valuable use case. Especially because it's um, it's it's in line with our philosophy behind the product, which is reducing these data sets. Right? Um, if you only want to pull out strings that match some filter, um, then that makes a lot of sense to do with the continuous view. What about geospatial filtering? So geospatial filtering, again, uh, yeah, we, we ship with our, our product, PipelineDB, has um, support for everything that PostGIS supports, which is the, the de facto standard geospatial extension um, for Postgres. So yeah, we can, we can do all that too. So if you wanted to um, you know, look for a bunch of sensors that you in the last like five minutes or something. You only wanted to look at the sensors that you've seen in the last five minutes in some predefined radius around a city or something like that. Everything outside of those parameters would be discarded. Um, and again, that would be also reducing down the size of the streaming data set too, which is uh, very congruent with the philosophy behind continuous views. Pipeline DB is designed to excel at SQL queries that reduce the cardinality of streaming data sets. What does this mean? Yeah, so cardinality is um, cardinality is basically the number of unique things in like a set of things. So picture a, a log file, and each line in the log file has the exact millisecond that that log line was was generated, which is pretty common, or some sort of timestamp, right? So if you looked at the cardinality of timestamps in this giant log file, the cardinality would be huge. You have one item per millisecond, something something like that, um, and no, no one's ever going to read that data. Um, in its in its raw form. So reducing the cardinality here means something like truncating the timestamps down to hour and then counting things up. So bucketing all this information and, and counting things up by how many log lines did we see during this one minute? How many did we see during this one hour? So it's it's really a fancy way of saying summarization, aggregation. What is virtual data? So vir virtual data, um, you could so. I'll go back to the, the select count star from stream um, example. 
And to do that, let's think about how you do that with just a regular, let's call it a traditional SQL database. Um, if you have, you know, a billion rows, you've, you've dumped all them into some huge SQL database, and now you wanted to know how many rows are in this table. So you run select count star against that table. It reads through all that physical data that's stored on disk um, and then returns the count to you. Whereas with PipelineDB, all we're storing is an actual count. And so we think of all the data that's been discarded after it's already been counted, we think of that as virtual data because it doesn't actually exist in the database, right? We don't have to count a billion rows that physically exist on a disk because we have the count already available to us. And so we think of those billion rows that went through this query as, as virtual. Many applications have this continuous update feature of PipelineDB. They have the continuous update in the application layer. Why is it better to have that continuous update in the database? Yeah, I think I think it depends um, on on the use case. So, and that's so I'm, I'm assuming you're, you mean something like um, I don't know some some client that's just receiving updated counts for. Um, yes, exactly. Guess, yeah. Okay. So so in that case, you you have to have somebody actually listening to the database, right? You have to have um, someone observing that information. Otherwise, it's nothing's nothing's really <clears throat> changing. I guess, whereas with PipelineDB, no one has to be looking at the database. It's always spinning. It's always continuously distilling information. And then whenever you want that up-to-date information, it's just a query against the database. It doesn't require anyone to sort of be observing um, for these changes to actually take place. Maybe this is sort of a naive question, but what do you define as a database? What do I define as a, as a how, database? How do you define the term database? Oh, that's that's a good question. Um, nowadays, I guess it's it's becoming a little bit more uh, more and more complex and fragmented. Um, let's see. I guess I would define it as anything that's stored information um, that could be retrieved with some sort of query language. So something a little bit more. I guess you could call a file system a a database, but maybe that's a little bit too low level. I, I would define it as, as something that stores raw information that can be retrieved with some sort of um, language. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously semantics, but I mean, would you do you think the like S would you classify S three as a database, or is you know is uh, is Dropbox a database? I, I guess it's like a philosophical question. In some sense, it, does, it doesn't really matter, but I, maybe it's worth it's worth uh, saying that, like the idea of a database, doesn't really have a uh, like a fixed a fixed target. Yeah, no, totally. I think that's a good point. I would I would call I would call S3 a database. It's a it's very much a key value store. Um, but yeah, I, th I think probably the the specific definition of a database is sort of going away because now you just really have problems that systems are solving. <laughs> um, databases are becoming more and more specialized um, because specialization is the easiest way to get scale. That's, and that's why you're seeing so much fragmentation um, in the, the data processing space right now. So many unique um, purpose-built products emerging. Um, you have less and less products that are sort of one-stop shops for all of your information because to get scale for a particular workload, you have to give everything up that you don't need that system to do. And I think that's the basis behind um, why you're seeing so many unique, specific data products emerging. Right. Like I was talking to RethinkDB recently, and I was like, this thing doesn't seem like a database. It seems like uh -huh. an application. Right, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a term that probably doesn't make that much sense anymore. Um, okay, cool. So um, what is the full stack architecture when you have a database like PipelineDB that's continuously updating your views? Mm -hmm. So the, um, the full stack architecture, I mean, I, I guess it would look very similar to the, the same architecture you'd use if you were just using like a regular PostgreSQL database um, or, or something like that. Because as I said, you don't have to have clients connected to this database listening for changes that are happening or anything like that. Um, it just sits there and constantly updates and the, the information is there when you want it. So it looks very much like um, any other relational database deployment. Um, and the, the other cool thing about our system and one of the reasons why we chose to base it off of a ubiquitous product like PostgreSQL is that it works with any client libraries that currently can talk to a Postgres database. And Postgres is very standard, so really it works with any clients that can talk to any SQL database. So we actually, we don't have our own proprietary API or proprietary client libraries or anything like that. All of the um, client libraries that people are already using to talk to their SQL databases will work with 
uh, pipeline DBs seamlessly. So yeah, to really answer your question, it, it would look very similar to um, a, a PostgreSQL deployment right now. So w- with that in mind, what does the migration process look like? If So if, I, if I'm some guy that's just got a Postgres database uh, and I want to migrate to, or maybe it's just, maybe you think of it more as an augmentation. If I want to get pipeline DB functionality in my Rails app, my Node app, whatever that has Postgres, what is that migration process like? So I, I think there are two questions here. The first one is how do you migrate an existing, um, what we call vanilla Postgres to pipeline DB? Um, and then the second question is, uh, yeah, well, I'll get to that. But so the, the, if you wanted to migrate an existing PostgreSQL deployment to PipelineDB, it would be a matter of just exporting all of your tables, um, all of your data, and then importing it in, into PipelineDB. Um, as long as you're using something compatible with Postgres 9.4, it would be it would be that simple. Um, and in terms of adding a a PipelineDB capability to your your application, it would it would be just a matter of uh, spinning up a, a Postgres instance or installing Postgres on whatever hardware you have um, and then and then just connecting to it like it was a regular Postgres database. There, there are very, there are actually no code changes or anything um, like that that would be required. What are some strategies, what are some patterns that you've seen that people have implemented using continuous views that have changed their application architecture? Yeah, so let's see. I mean, the, the first one is... Uh, I keep going back to the dashboarding example because that's that's just a, a slam dunk use case that pretty much everyone. Yeah, that's is using like every company. Yeah, so so anyone who who has any sort of like dashboard they're using, they they they've used um, pipeline DB to make things a lot more efficient by pre-aggregating all that stuff, so that the the front end just has to do a basic um, a basic read. Another really interesting use case that we're seeing spring up is a lot of companies who have massive like torrential amounts of data um, that they can't they have this stuff streaming and they can't really analyze it until after a certain time because there's just so much of it. It, it requires so much processing power to um, just make sense of everything. So what they're doing is they're they're taking a percentage of that fire hose of data, whether it's like 1% or 2% or 10%, and they're piping that into like one small pipeline DB instance. And the cool thing about that is when you have that much data, if you're looking at 1% of uh, a massive amount of information, it's it's still statistically significant and it's going to look um, similar in shape to the the 100% of the data. So it allows them to get access to what the like shape and feel of this data looks like by just offloading a a small sample of it into a a pipeline DB instance, which is, which cuts down the the delays for them a lot. Could you talk about the latency guarantees, how long it takes for a raw data stream to be converted into the refined queries that are provided by a continuous view? Um, so that, that really, there, there are no guarantees there. I mean, it, it totally depends on the, uh, the query you're doing um, and, and what the complexity is. So it's, it's hard to say what the uh, guarantee is, but one, one like sort of rough benchmark that is, um, um, has been pretty accurate to go by if you want to figure out like how much performance you can get out of a pipeline DB instance on your hardware. Uh, you'll saturate the network interface most likely before you saturate um, pipeline DB. So uh, the network interface, whatever, however much information you can take through the network, whether it's 10 gigabits or one gigabit or, or whatever, um, that's probably the rate that pipeline DB will be able to process information if you want to get an idea um, of performance. Could you talk about a little bit more about how the impl- the internal implementation of pipeline db works so like i understand that you know you have raw data streams and um and something is listening to the raw data stream that refines uh the the raw queries or the, sorry the raw data into refined queries of the continuous view um but could you talk a little more about how cuz and that's that's about the level that i that i understand i mean i understand a little bit more but um if you could describe to me a little bit more the the lower level implementation what that looks like Sure. Yeah. So everything happens. Um, everything happens with uh, two processes uh, that we call. One is the combiner, and one is the worker. Um, and depending on how many cores you have, you can you can parallelize those as much as possible. So if you have thirty-two cores, you might you might have you might configure your pipeline to have you know four combiners and and twenty-eight um, workers or or something like that. So. Um, well, I'll start with the worker because that's that's sort of the edge um, of the system. The worker is a process that reads directly from a stream and runs a continuous query on it 
Um, and the continuous query is just whatever you define with the view. So let's go back to count star. Let's say that's what the worker's running count star. Um, and so the worker reads what we call a micro batch of data. So that, that's a configurable parameter. I think it defaults to 10,000 10, right now. So the worker, worker will read 10,000 events, run the continuous query on those 10,000 events, and then generate what we call a partial result. So um, let's just follow what this query, what the flow looks like from here. So, so the worker will read 10,000 rows, run select count star on it. And so now it's got one row with the number 10,000 in it. And so once the partial result has been generated, that partial result gets sent to uh, the combiner process. And the combiner process, the, its fundamental purpose is to combine these partial results continuously with the permanent information that is actually on disk. So let's say um, we've already counted a billion rows and now we need to merge in this, this row with 10,000 because the worker just counted 10,000 events. The combiner takes the, the row with 10,000 and then it combines that with whatever's on disk. So then we'd have a billion plus 10,000. Uh, that number would be the new row uh, in the database. And as soon as the, the combiner commits that to disk, um, it, would be, it would be visible to any clients reading, reading from the continuous view. Awesome. That's very useful. What is your definition of a data stream? Uh, a data stream. So that's... That, that might be even more general than the, the other question about what a database <laughs> the is. The database. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a, a, data, a data stream, um, it, it's really interesting if you think about um, streams because really anything, especially information, can be conceptualized as a stream of changes. Um, you know, your, your bank account balance is just a stream of withdrawals and deposits. Um, and so that, that's sort of how we think about streams um, is just a, a flow of changes. And a continuous view is just the culmination of all of those changes at that particular point in time. Um, so it's, it's, it's a pretty general idea, though. So Pipeline DB is iconic of the movement from batch processes to streaming processes. Uh, I, I did a, a week of shows about big data, and, um, and, and that was definitely one of the themes throughout the uh, throughout the week. Could you explain how you see this movement from batch to streaming? Uh, yeah, so I think the, the interesting thing is that I think they'll always both exist um, in, in some respect. Um, you'll, you'll always want to be able to retroactively go back and, and process stuff, and you, you do that with a, with a batch system. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that the only reason that streaming hasn't been more predominant in the past is just because technologically it's harder. Everybody wants streaming data. Every, everybody produces data as streams. Um, data isn't produced in batch by by users anywhere or machines. They, they don't batch up data and then send it somewhere where it's processed in batch. All information pretty much everywhere is being produced as a continuous stream. Um, and, but processing that data as a continuous stream turns out to be a lot harder than processing it in batch. So it's taken a little bit of time um, for, for various industries to catch up to that. But uh, I, I definitely see it as, as the predominant way of analyzing information in the future because, again, that's how all information is produced um, as a stream in the first place. What are the trends and technologies that characterize the batch, uh, batch, and stre- batch to streaming? I guess if, if, if you think that they're going to be persistent throughout, uh, throughout time, then uh, maybe, maybe it's not as much of a movement uh, uh, as, as I'm characterizing it as, but what do you think are the most tr- important trends and technologies within this movement? Probably one of the most important things is making stream, stream processing as, as easy as possible. It's still not um, the easiest way to process data, but as I said before, it's, it's the way that all information is being produced, and I think eventually the pr- it will be the predominant way that all information is um, understood and, and analyzed, so making sure that's as easy as possible for people who aren't necessarily infrastructure engineers um, is, is really important. And if uh, you know organizations whose primary purpose isn't to create large-scale infrastructure software, um, if they could have that capability to process information the way that leading data-driven organizations are, then, th- then that's a big deal. So I think uh, making it as easy as possible, making stream processing as easy as possible is, is a big, um, important trend. What is a sliding window? So a sliding window um, is, let's say, let me give you a good example. So let's say I want to see, I want to, I want to understand what the average, um, let's say the the average 
temperature of a server is over the last five minutes. So I don't want it to. I don't want to take the average um, after five minutes of data. Like, like let's say at, at one o'clock, I take the average, and that's a data point. Then I build up an, a bunch of other data in, in, until one o five, um, and then I take the average again. A sliding window actually always considers the last five trailing minutes from um, from now, essentially. Um, and so the value is even if you're looking at five minutes, uh, five minutes of, of data. The value of that data is constantly changing with time. It's sliding along um, with the progression of time. And how does Pipeline DB implement a sliding window? Yeah, so it's uh, it, it's pretty it's pretty simple how we do it. You essentially run a continuous view uh, with a where clause that says where the arrival time of the events um, is between now and five minutes ago, essentially. And then every time you query the continuous view, it will only show the last five minutes of data. And the hard part about that um, from from a engineering standpoint uh, isn't generating that actual result. It's easy. The hard part is actually cleaning up data after it's expired. Um, so if there's a you know if there's a sliding window and I only care about the last five minutes of data, I don't I will never care about anything that is now outside of that window, which means our system has to has to clean it up efficiently. Um, which it does sort of in the background. What is a probabilistic data structure? So prob probabilistic data structures are su super useful on, on streams. And in, in a general sense, what they are is data structures, usually data structure and algorithm combinations um, that, that facilitate some sort of highly accurate um, estimate of some value. Um, and but, but it does like uh, show like an estimate. So for example, um, if you want to count the number of uh, unique users you've seen in a stream um, of events, that's to, to do that with perfect accuracy, you need to store every event you've ever seen. Because if a new one comes in, you have to say, well, has it been seen before? Um, and so there's no way to do that with 100% accuracy on a stream because a stream is infinite. Theoretically, um, it never ends. So you can use, um, like, I'll give you an example. One probabilistic data structure we use is called hyperlog log. Um, and what that does is it allows you to estimate the cardinality of a set. So uh, again, that's just the number of unique things in a set of things. So if we wanted to estimate the number of unique users uh, that, have, that I've seen in this page view stream or something um, since the beginning of time, hyperlog log can do that with using a constant amount of space. So the data structure, once it's fully um, saturated, won't actually actually grow. Um, and the estimation that it, that it yields is the way we have it configured is extremely accurate. So you can estimate billions and billions of unique things um, with about a little more than 99% accuracy uh, with almost no no space at all, like tens of kilobytes. Fascinating. So what is so as the if you're if you're with a hyperlog log as the number as the input stream increases in, in velocity, how does the uh, performance or the accuracy degrade? So the the accuracy um, the performance is pretty constant. Um, the data structure is the, the performance is essentially proportional to the size of the data structure, which um, basically doesn't change. Um, it, it starts out a certain size, and it, it always stays that size. So performance doesn't necessarily um, degrade. Well, it's size and of the data the, structure relative to the size of the data stream, right? So the size of the, the size of the data structure never will never grow um, after after a certain point. So, well, if we're if we're talking about hyperlog log in, in particular. Um, it will. It, you can keep it at a certain size, and it doesn't matter how much data you've ever seen. It, it will. It will always stay the same size. All the space is essentially pre-allocated, um, and then a bunch of values at different positions get changed in that pre-allocated space as information flows into the data structure. Um, and so, so accuracy is. Uh, it's. It's really the accuracy is the worst when it's really, really small in the very beginning. But the more the more um, elements you add, it sort of converges on the. Um, on the error rate that you've that you've configured. Interesting. So, how is a hyperlog log implemented under the covers in Pipeline DB? <clears throat> so, we actually um, it, it's a pretty common data structure. So, we actually I don't know if you're familiar with Redis, um, but it's it's got it's got a really really nice hyperlog log implementation. And ours is is almost verbatim Redis's. I mean, their copyright notice is in um, our hyperlog log implementation. <laughs> so, so we use a. Uh, we use uh, most of their implementation um, with with some changes for us, but um, yeah, there there are lots of other implementations out there. But the Redis code is is absolutely is gorgeous. Just so, just uh, to get yeah. inside baseball, could you articulate any of the differences between your implementation and the Redis's implementation? 
Um, see if there's anything fundamental. I mean, there's, there's nothing like fundamental okay. actually. I, yeah. There's nothing that's fundamentally different. It's not like fundamentally faster. Okay. Uh, that's fine. It's, it's, it's pretty similar. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk about, uh, about the other probabilistic data structures. Um, what is a bloom filter? So a bloom filter is actually really similar to hyperlog log. Um, so the, the operation that hyperlog log supports is essentially set cardinality. You add all these elements to it, and then you can estimate the set. They're the set cardinality um, very accurately. You can also do that with a bloom filter, and it also adds another operation, and that's set membership. Um, so I can add a bunch of elements to this, to this bloom filter, and then I can, you know, I have some incoming new element. I can ask the bloom filter, does the bloom filter likely contain this specific element? Um, and so at the um, expense of that additional operation, bloom filters are actually much larger um, than hyperlog logs, but, those are, but, but they're very similar in that um, they support set cardinality with the additional operation of uh, set membership. And how did you engineer a bloom filter? Was it another case of uh, just having a pretty straightforward reference implementation? Yeah, I, th I think yeah, bloom filter has been around for a while. There's there's uh there it's it's pretty well understood how to um, implement them. We it's, yeah we implemented ours ourselves, but I mean it's certainly not our invention. Um, sure, it's a uh, it, it's a pretty standard algorithm. So what about a T digest? Yeah. I hadn't heard about that. So T digest is um, for accurately estimating basically quantiles. So um, you could say, given this value, um, what percentage quantile does it exist in? You know, is it in the, if you want to look at the top 99th percent percentile of, of um, values, or you want to figure out if, if this value is in the, um, you know, the, the bottom half or the, the upper half of, a, of all the values you've seen. Um, to do that accurately, again, with a stream is impossible because they're infinite. And to do quantiles accurately, you essentially need to sort all of the data that you're looking at, which obviously you can't do with the stream. So T-Digest is a data structure that allows you to um, estimate quantiles pretty accurately um, and, and pretty efficiently. So they, uh, yeah, the, the usability of these, uh, of these probabilistic data structures seems to have a lot of synergy with the core offering of Pipeline DB of just having a continuous view into something. Um, how do, are your customers using uh, probabilistic data structures in any interesting ways? Uh, yeah, pretty much everyone who's who's using our product uses um, distinct counting, uh, which internally uses hyperlog log. So that that's definitely the most popular um, probabilistic data structure that our users are using. Um, and and that, yeah, that's just with uh, with count distinct, which pretty much everyone's doing. Does Pipeline DB support replication? It's so Postgres supports replication and. Um, so the, all of that already works because um, we're based off of the, the Postgres core. Um, so yeah, we, we do support replication. Could you de describe some about, uh, for, for listeners who, who don't know, what are the differences between Postgres and MySQL? Uh, to be honest, I don't, I don't really know too much about uh, MySQL. I've always, been, I've always been a Postgres user. Um, so yeah, I, I I couldn't really tell you anything anything interesting there. Okay. I know that fundamentally, and one of the reasons we chose Postgres because I think their their development philosophy is a little bit more disciplined um, and slow. So it took a while for Postgres to catch up to to MySQL um, in terms of features and and things like that because the the speed of development is slower in the PostgreSQL community. But what you get with that is an extreme, extremely high level of quality, both in terms of um, the, the database's stability, how the code base is organized. So it makes it really easy for us to, to piggyback on top of it because it's such a well-organized code base um, and, and things like that. And I, and I think it's really starting to catch up now. But um, that, that's the biggest difference that, that I've seen. This is a question you may not have an answer to, but do you have an idea why Heroku supports uh, Postgres and not MySQL? Um, I think I, I honestly I don't know off the off the top of my head. Um, Would you have any guesses, or that's just a random question that popped into my head? Yeah, I think uh, I think it's it's probably more more stable um, for for general for general use. Um, I, I think MySQL is a lot faster and probably better than than Postgres. It the simpler queries where you need um, but where you need a lot of performance. But um, I think overall. Postgres is, is just a more stable, high quality system for, for the general um, for the general case. 
So I'd, I'd imagine they, they probably thought the same thing, um, but I don't know for sure. I couldn't tell you. Are there any other interesting customer use cases you could talk about uh, that highlight how people are using Pipeline DB? One, uh, one that's been really valuable that we've seen come up quite a few times is um, the real-time monitoring of A-B tests. So we have uh, one customer, really big web property, one of the top 50 websites in the world. They're using us to monitor um, the results of A-B tests they're doing to their site in, in real time. So if they make a tweak to an image or a button, they want to see immediately how that affects the rate at which people buy that product because that's so closely tied to, to revenue, obviously. And the way they were doing it before um, is that they were, they were dumping all that A-B test um, performance data somewhere and then they were analyzing it sometimes hours, maybe even a day later. So they, they wouldn't know immediately how effective the A-B test was. Um, whether that was uh, whether it had a negative effect or a positive effect, they wouldn't know for a while. Whereas now with Pipeline, they can watch how that conversion rate changes in real time um, very easily, which is obviously super valuable to a company that does um, e-commerce at that scale. To give a more granular view into what it was like for that company to uh, implement to to, to oh. integrate Pipeline DB into their workflow, um, d- could you provide some some like speculative description? about what the implementation, uh, what the process of migrating, of augmenting their workflow to include Pipeline DB um, in order to fit that use case, um, what would the code have looked like? Uh, what, like how much code would they have been writing? Um, you know, what, what would the developer experience have been like? Yeah, so we have a pretty good, good idea of, of what the integration looked like. There was, um, in terms of sending data into Pipeline DB, they had like, um, a very, they had like a 50 or 100 line Go program. Uh, it was super small. It would just read from their, from their fire hose and then insert that um, in the form of insert SQL insert statements into Pipeline DB. So that's how they got data in. It was, it was actually pretty seamless. Um, and in terms of getting data out and viewing these results, that was also pretty seamless as well because they, had a, um, they have a, a data backend that the various users in their company can go to and issue queries to various um, data systems and then come back and look at the results later or, or look at the results then. So all they, all they did was they have, they have like a drop down menu that says select the data source. And then there's a query box that says that you run the query and then the, the, the query comes out in the form of like uh, a table. And uh, they basically added pipeline DB as a, as a source to that, um, which was pretty seamless because they have a lot of other SQL um, SQL products that they were using in that system as well. So it, so it, it just looked to, to the end user, it looked like a new, uh, a new data source appearing in the, in a dropdown box one day. Interesting. So I want to come back to the discussion we were having at the beginning, uh, about the fact that the primary consumer of information is becoming software itself and not necessarily analysts. Um, so is that to say that, uh, like, how, are are you seeing Pipeline DB be adopted uh, more in uh, systems that are not heavily augmented by a fleet of data scientists? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, it's, a system like Pipeline is still useful for for doing exploratory analysis by you know data science scientists and stuff because um, you can still you know continuous views just behave like regular tables. So you can run further queries on them. You can join them on other tables, distill them down. Um, and, and things like that, but um, I think like a, a more traditional ad hoc database that can look at um, granular data and, and run on the fly queries in real time is more conducive to to bringing out the full power of a data scientist. Um, so yeah, we we expect to support uh, applications more so than than uh, people doing ad hoc queries. Absolutely. So as the fire hose uh, increases over time, I mean, just the general uh, application stack fire hose across the world. I mean, this is like what is it? 90, 90% of the world's data was made in the last two years, you know, phrases like that. Um, do you think that pipeline DB will, uh, could create sort of like a polyglot persistence layer where, um, you know, you've got your fire hose and, and your fire hose gets reduced to uh, pipeline, uh, rows and then, uh, and then people will perform, you know, you, you could still have data scientists performing ad hoc queries, across their uh, their reduced, refined pipeline DB tables. Uh, do you think that's a plausible future? Um, sure. I mean, that, that's probably part of it. Uh, we, we certainly don't expect to 
uh, be like the one-stop shop for for everyone's data. We're we're one extremely valuable tool um, in their in their tool chest. So I think I think that's part of it, but certainly not all of it. Interesting. Um, so what uh, what are some other databases that uh, that you think have synergy with Pipeline DB? Um, let's see. I mean, definitely, obviously, Postgres. Uh, that that makes a ton of sense. Sure, um, absolutely. I was thinking more so. from a from a from a polyglot uh, from a polyglot persistence uh, point of view. Are there other databases that uh, that make sense to uh, to augment the functionality of Pipeline DB with? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So certainly, certainly, Postgres. That's an obvious one, as as you said. Um, the other, the other one that comes up a lot that a lot of people who are using pipeline um, are doing this. They're using it in conjunction with Kafka. So Kafka is really awesome at at being like the general message bus for all of your streams of data. It's it's extremely ubiquitous, um, and it's probably going to continue to grow and it's in its adoption very fast. Um, and so that that's something that works really well with with any streaming product, um, and, and certainly with with pipeline as well. Uh, a lot of people are using pipeline in conju- in conjunction with uh, with Kafka. Could you describe more about the uh, implementation of what what people's? I mean, I've done I've done a couple shows on Kafka. I have a, a general understanding of it, but what uh, what do you think is is so important about Kafka? Uh, like, how does it augment, or how, how is it uh, make for a great message bus that feeds to Pipeline DB? Um, yeah, I, I think that the main thing is just it's it's ubiquity. Um, I don't know too much about the implementation. I know that it's a great product. I've used it in the past, and I, I think really it's just the the ubiquity that makes it relevant for Pipeline DB. Pretty much anyone doing anything at scale with streams is using Kafka. So if they want to run computations on the streams they're doing, it's very likely that 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 stream is going to be coming out of Kafka. Um, and, and so that's why I think it, it makes sense in the context of Pipeline DB, just solely because of its uh, ubiquity. Right. So you write that Pipeline DB aims to leverage three powerful components, SQL, the relational model, and open source. What does this mean for the future of Pipeline DB? Um, so the, the, I mean, I think the, probably the most important thing there that we haven't talked about yet um, is, is the open source aspect. Um, I think that's. I think any any open any any infrastructure product that thrives in the future is going to have to be open source. Um, it's increasingly the case that developers and engineers are making the big fundamental decisions about the infrastructure tools that they want to use for their um, to to base their product their products on, um, and the way the way that they find out about things and the way that they gain confidence in things is is by trying them with basically no overhead. Um, Engineers aren't getting calls from salespeople to find out about the greatest new infrastructure products. So we really strongly think that um, that open source is is completely critical for um, any infrastructure products that are going to thrive in the future. Yeah, you know, I had a conversation with um, the CEO of MemSQL, and uh, MemSQL is, of course, a, a closed source company. And um, I don't know; it's interesting because because. And as I've talked to all these big data companies, there it seems like there really is a tension between the closed source business models and the open source business models. Um, you know, one of the issues that the MemSQL CEO, uh, which again is closed source, pointed out is that um, you know the, the, with the open source business model, um, you know, companies may have an incentive to uh, provide a, 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 a type of service that. Has some lock-in to uh, consultants, uh, which is you know you see this in the Cloudera model or the HortonWorks model. Um, so so it's kind of a hazard that you can actually avoid if you have uh, a a purchasable um, closed source solution. Um, ha- have you thought at all about the 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 tensions between those those two business models? Uh, yeah, I, I I I'm sure Eric would totally agree disagree with. Uh... My opinions on uh, open source thriving in the future, but um, yeah, it depends. I think it works really well for MemSQL uh, because they they took a at least in the beginning they took a very well. Sorry, sorry, it was, the, it was the CTO. I just want to clarify, not the not the CEO. Oh, okay, well, yeah. Regardless, um, they they took a very well defined problem in in the very beginning of their company, at least with with their product. They said, "We'll just basically take MySQL and make it insanely fast." 
Um, so people that are buying that type of stuff, they know exactly what they're getting. And so it, it's easy to quantify that. You could say, if I could speed up your MySQL cluster by, you know, a thousand X, what's that worth to you? That's, that's an easy, that's an easy thing to, that's an easy thing to figure out. It's quantifiable. So they have a, they've had a brilliant sell. Um, for us, our product is a little bit more um, out there in terms of philosophy with continuous views and like not storing all this data. It's a little bit more out there, I think. And it's um, a little bit more of a bet that we're making. So we can't tell people exactly what they're going to get because it's so it's so new and there's not a lot of stuff like this out there yet. So we have to facilitate adoption um, in order to figure out like what this value is and how people end up using this new capability. I mean, we've, we've already seen use cases that we hadn't anticipated um, spring up because we've just let everybody use it. So I think um, for a product like ours, that's a little bit, that's, um, you know, very unique in my opinion. Um, it's important to just put it out there as easily as possible so that people can experiment with it um, and figure out how it adds value to them. What types of use cases that you didn't expected, expect are you seeing? So the one we didn't expect was the um, sampling of fire hoses. So, I mean, we kind of thought about that, but a lot of people have actually um, been been doing that, which is um, which is awesome. It's a super valuable use case. Another use case we hadn't really thought about is um, time to live. So a lot of databases, especially key value stores, when you write a um, a row to to something a, a data store like that, you you can a lot of times give it what's called a TTL, a time to live, um, and then. After that TTL, if the TTL is 30 days or whatever, 30 days go by, and then that data point gets um, erased. It gets discarded. So you're not just constantly growing the database um, uh, forever. And so people have actually used Pipeline in conjunction with sliding windows to essentially have regular SQL tables um, that effectively have a TTL, which is actually pretty hard to do right now. So they, they can say, I only care about the last 30 days of data. Don't keep filling up my disks. Um, for anything that's older than 30 days, and you can do that with a with a sliding window. Um, so we're almost out of time, but I did want to ask, um, when you were going to those 100 different data-driven companies to learn about their pain points, did you discover any other bizarre pain points that uh, maybe are totally orthogonal to the conversation we've had? Um, or not orthogonal, uh, just other things you discovered? Nothing, nothing jumps out at me off the top of my head. To, to be honest, the conversations were always very, very similar. There was a pretty consistent pattern, as I, as I said earlier in the mm. conversation. Um, I, I can't think of anything that, that jumps out at me that was uh, strange or, or surprising. Fascinating. I'm sure there was something, but, but nothing, nothing that uh, stands out right now. Okay. Well, um, Derek, thanks so much for coming on to Software Engineering Daily. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jeff. It was, uh, it was a great time.